Welcome back to First Time Outdoors, everyone. Uh, today, we're going to talk a little bit about cabin fever. And uh, even though we have a spring thaw going on and the snow is getting smaller and smaller, mm-hmm. um, it's sometimes important to get out. And, and the winter's long here in Minnesota, so uh, we were both able to kind of get away a little bit and take some time in warmer climates and do something a little different. So we thought we'd just kind of catch up and uh, recap some of the fun things we've been doing. Yeah, we're itching to get outside as the snow melts and the the weather warms up. Um, but the the cold months of January and February are behind us, but there were some things that we we did that we'd like to share with you all as maybe some tips for curing your wintertime blues. I don't know why, like as long as I've been a kid, it seems like the trips are always had like... Trips always happen in March in Minnesota. It's like, yeah, March is a decent month. You know, I don't know why it's never January or February, but um, yeah, March seems to be the time to, I think we've all had it. We've all gotten through the worst of it and it's kind of like, all right, we need something, you know, we're ready for that change. So uh, yeah, you've done a little more than I have in the last couple of weeks. What, I think the first one you did, you were out in Arizona. Yeah, I was out in Arizona the last week of January. Um, I went with my brother and my sister, and we visited with uh, with my aunt and uncle who live in Phoenix. We just went for four days. We found some really cheap flights. It was like a hundred and ten dollars round trip. So it was, re- and with uh, free lodging, it was nice. a, a good bargain. So it was hard to say no. Um, yeah, so we we went from Saturday till a Tuesday, and we. We did all sorts of stuff outside because it was so nice out. I mean, every day was like 75 and sunny. And we we did a lot of hiking in the mountains, Did a lot of spent a lot of time in the desert amongst the, the cacti and all the prickly pears and the roadrunners and all that cool stuff. Um, a landscape I hadn't really seen or been around in a long time. I think the last time I had been to the southwest, Arizona specifically, I was maybe 13. Mm-hmm. So it had been a really long time, and uh, that's all I wanted to do while I was there. It's like forget going to restaurants and you know checking out the local watering hole bars and stuff like that. I wanted to get out in the mountains, which which we did. So every day we went to a different park and hiked, and uh, I had posted some stuff on Instagram of different um, petroglyphs that we had seen carved by native Americans into the stone formations, which was awesome. Yeah, that stuff was cool. Um, so check those out on our Instagram page. First time outdoors. If you haven't yet, did you research those and like, see what the, the timeline was on them or like, did you have any guides or anything? You know, I didn't, um, it was just, it was just something that most people know they're there. Um, cause there's kind of a worn path to it. Um, so it wasn't like this amazing discovery that I made. So I'm sure that there's research out there. Yeah. Um, but I was really struck by the fact that the whole time I was in Arizona, I was asking questions to my aunt and uncle like, okay, so do you have mule deer here? What kind of, is there sage grouse or do you have quail? What, what are the hunting species primarily? I was really curious about that. And then when I came on, upon that petroglyph, on that stone, a Native American carved a bow hunter with something that appeared to be a deer because they're antlers, and then a, like a mountain goat in the picture, which was really cool. That's awesome. So it uh, kind of grounded me a little bit in the 
in the heritage of the place and how hunting is ingrained in our history and the history of that specific location. So it was really awesome. Sweet. Um, I'd seen petroglyphs before, like in Canada and stuff when we're fishing, but these were uh, way more obvious of really? what they were portraying, portraying huh. um, in that uh, representation. So super cool. And then uh, one of the days, uh, my brother Derek and I went out mountain biking. Derek is a big mountain biker. That's like what he likes to do. Some, he's gone out to Arizona just for like two weeks straight and just mountain biked in, in the area. So he had a couple of spots in particular that we want. he wanted to take me to and then just picked one because we only had four days. And So we rented some mountain bikes and we spent half a day out mountain biking. Which I'd done some mountain biking before, maybe four or five times in the past in Minnesota. And I don't know if if you call that mountain yeah. biking in Minnesota. It's it's a lot different. It's uh, sometimes just as steep, but not as for as long mm-hmm. of time. So um, when we were in Arizona, there was a section of downhill where I didn't crank the pedal for like, three miles it was was like 25 minutes of just standing on the pedals and just coasting down the coasting down the hill we had to do a little bit of climbing to get there but um it was awesome so it it was to the point of like where i had to shift my feet on the pedals because my calves were cramping (laughs) up so much from just it was it was really cool and saw a bunch of road runners and coyotes and all sorts of wildlife. What did you find was like a a first time type challenge or experience when you're mountain biking, like that somebody might. Um, from do you have any like insecurities or any like thing that kind of held you up? I mean, I know you've done it, but like yeah. you said, only a couple times. Yeah, that, that's a good question. The, the thing that holds me up consistently is the shape that I'm mm. that I need to be going in. You know, it's a whole different ball game when you get up in the mountains because the elevation changes stuff. And I had known that I was going to be mountain biking. So the couple, maybe three, four weeks before I had gone, I was running on the treadmill and like trying to get my cardio up. Um, but my legs were dead. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had, we got to the end and I just had nothing left to give. And the, the biggest difference that I found there, mountain biking there versus where I mountain biked in Minnesota, is that there were just a lot of areas where you'd be going down a really steep slope and then it would quickly go like a steep incline. It was like a huge drainage on that mountain. Sure. And so in the span of 15 feet, you could be going 45 degrees down and then you have like a six foot trough and it goes almost straight up. So it was really hard for me as a newbie to know how to shift that Sure. on the gears. Mm-hmm. My brother, being a really experienced mountain biker, knows when to shift and how to, you know, crank the pedals to get keep, carry momentum in that. But you can't really be going too fast because as soon as you hit that uphill, you just pile up into your, <laughs> you know, or go over the handlebars. So there was quite a few times where Derek would would be able to climb up and out of that stuff. And I had to get off the bike and push the bike out. Cause it just was, 
it was that was a struggle for me too so i'm still learning the shifting part okay that makes sense that does seem tricky you know and there's so many gears and the bike that i've ridden in minnesota is one of my brothers and just getting used to where the the shift like the downshift and the upshift and then there's a button that'll um raise your seat back up Mm. automatically and stuff and those are all in different places so there were times where i was like downshifting when i needed to upshift. you know it was it's just... like it's like stuff that you can get by with and it's fine if you don't do it like very efficiently but just like getting better like doing it more efficiently and smoother that obviously makes it more enjoyable right. it's like canoeing with your arms versus your whole body twisting it's like yeah, yeah you can get the job done but it's like inefficient and kind of clunky right one of the things my brother mentioned because i was kind of like oh my gosh i thought i was in better shape than this uh derek said to me i don't think that you're any worse shape than i am i'm just more efficient on the pedals than you are mm. you're wasting a lot of energy because you're not shifting properly so i could see where that would have a huge advantage you know yeah. you're doing things correctly you save a lot of time and energy and effort so I'm still very interested in having somebody, maybe we'll get Derek on for a podcast or I know Grant that we've had in the past is a big mountain biker. Cause I think there's a lot to be learned there and it's such a fun way to like get outside and exercise and Cover see some different and... places. Yeah. So cool. that was a really cool experience. And then we, while in Arizona, we, we went to a lake and, uh, we didn't fish, but I just feel my like spirit lifts when I see open water. Yeah. So it was really nice to just sit out on a lake and like eat some fish tacos and, you know, spend some time with family and, and, uh, be by, be by water, open water. Sweet. So yeah. How about you? You just got back from a trip recently. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I went, uh, my parents, they take the whole like escape the winter thing a little more seriously and they move <laughs> yeah. out to uh, California for the winter. Um, and so we went out, my brother and I went out to visit them and spend a few days. Uh, we went from uh, Wednesday night to Monday night. Um, so we had a number of good days there and they live in like the Palm Desert, Palm Springs Valley and that climate is like a little aquarium it's like blue skies 75 degrees no wind mm -hmm. every day it's just like perfect um and historically my wife and i katie and i uh we've been going out there in the end of february and it's been like you know certainly nice relative to minnesota but it's still 50s and 60s at night like it's a little it feels a little chilly like you think you're going to a hot weather place and yeah this time it was definitely like hot so that was nice uh, i was in the 80s and um spent a lot of time golfing that was the majority of what we do my i think i've mentioned in previous episodes my family really loves to golf uh and that's you know while it's not my preferred way to spend my time out in the door out the outdoors it's like hard to argue how beautiful of places you can mm -hmm. find yourself in a, on a golf course and a lot of the beauty of spending time outdoors is the people you're with yeah absolutely so my like just as you say that like my mom has really gotten into golf after spending most of her life never golfing she's found that's that's something that she wants to get into and she's like i never really thought of this but like kind of a first-time golfer like yeah. she's she's really um 
getting excited about it and she's finding companions like friends and uh women out you know in their neighborhood that want to golf with her and like she's finding this camaraderie that that we talk a lot about on Mm -hmm. the show um so that's fun to watch and it's it was fun we golfed um a couple times with her when we were out there and it was just fun to have her along and um enjoying everything and yeah so we we did that i played pretty well and that's always fun it's fun to add some competition to like just being outside Um, i need that for golf personally yeah yeah like we we always throw my family always throws like you know two bucks on the line just to have it make it interesting make it interesting but like not you know ruthless or anything um so definitely got to do some fun experiences there and then uh another one of the highlights of the trip is we went to the anza borrego state park um which is about an hour and a half south of their house um there's this big big water system called the salton sea and it's kind of this bizarre story where um a lot of the drainages there they like have a lot of silt in them and over time that has sort of been blocked off and this large sea has been formed um it's maybe like the size of lake Malax or something i don't know what mm-hmm. the actual size is but it's like on one end of the lake you can't see across or like down the length of the, mm-hmm. the, the lake so it's really really big but not like a great lake size obviously um uh, anyway the the like salinity and the the contents of the lake has been so silty mm-hmm. that like it's turned into almost like a poisoned lake mm. where there's just bones like bird bones and fish bones everywhere and it's like this Weird. crazy little like quasi toxic lake i think it used to be an old like back in the sunny bono days it was like a resort lake mm-hmm. and it's just turned into this like crazy kind of sad state of the salton sea is it is it a product of like human presence in the area or is it i think in part i think i think the natural geography lends itself poorly to like not having any inflows or outflows so it's just kind Mm -hmm. of like a somewhat stagnant water i'm no expert by any means i just kind of know what i know through them and reading on it a little bit so i may be wrong people can uh correct me if i am but yeah like i read a lot about uh certain irrigation and like inflows that have been silted up over time um, which mm. kind of stagnated the water. And then, yes, there's a lot of egg around it. And so I think okay. there's probably runoff going into it. And um, so this is kind of a weird thing. So we, we drove by it um, and saw we did some, like, we looked for some cool rocks. Um, obsidian is like a mm-hmm. super sharp black rock. They have a, there's a obsidian deposit in the area. So we went there and that was kind of fun. It's good but, for making arrowheads. Yeah, exactly. Um, so after that, then we went to this Anza Borrego state park, which was maybe an hour from there. Uh, and that state park is known for being, I think it's one of two international dark zone areas in the world, I think like internationally, um, which means they're like really, really good for star viewing. Um, oh, because it's just like, so. Like I still, I've told a number of people this and I should have prepared for the podcast, but like, I don't, I don't know what the definition of an international dark zone is, but mm-hmm. it must just be like, it's equidistant from enough things that it's, it's really dark. There's there. no ambient yeah, light no pollution. Ambient light. Yeah. Um, and it's the largest state park in California. I think it's 640,000 acres. Um, so 
we yeah so we went there and went to the visitor center and stuff and just had kind of a fun little casual state park day um and we went into a slot canyon which was close by which is was really cool um i had never done that before and my parents and my brother we all hiked down into this little canyon and if anybody's seen pictures online or done them i mean they get so tight that it's like walking through a little hallway like Mm -hmm. you're touching rock on your belly and your back like you're having to kind of slide through this little canyon Mm -hmm. and then it opens up again and then it gets tight again and um so that was really cool my my mom was a little hesitant about that at times but (laughs) to her credit she killed it and um we all had a fun time doing that and afterward we went back in toward town and um the borrego springs area has all these sculptures that are like made of um they're kind of like rusted out metal basically um there's a big cricket and a huge grass uh a big like scorpion mm-hmm. there's a jeep and a big serpent and like all these cool sculptures coming out of the desert floor hmm. uh just kind of sporadically like out on the edges of town and it's a really good photography like setup mm-hmm. so my brother nathan is a really good photographer and he brought out his camera and his tripod and we did like star photos cool um which i had never i mean i've tried it once in canada and didn't really get any good results so that was kind of a first timey thing that i did with him is you know just kind of tried to help him out and do what i could to to be helpful um and we got some really cool pictures um hopefully i'll I'll try to reach out to him and see if we can share some online or something like that because they were really really cool um just we spent probably an hour hour and a half in the dark with like sitting on the bed of my parents or like on the trunk of their car and mm-hmm. looking at the stars and that was really relaxing and just a great way to spend the night. Yeah. Um, especially back home, I wouldn't be outside hanging out in the dark, <laughs> right. looking at the stars yeah. uh, and just to be in a t-shirt and shorts and, and looking at the billions of stars up there. It was pretty cool. And yeah. It sounds cool. Every once in a while, you know, it's cheesy to say, but like, it's fun to be reminded of like where we are in the world or in mm-hmm. the universe rather. Yeah. And just like going to a place like that and seeing it's just fun. Like yeah. we live in Minneapolis and St. Paul. It's like, you know, when you see the stars, you can see the stars, but you, you don't see a few. See, yeah, exactly. And it's like, you look up there and it's just, they're everywhere. So that was a, that was a cool highlight of the trip. Um, so yeah, it was nice. And then we kind of came back after that, we played one more round of golf and then we headed home and yeah, it's a good reset. So one thing I forgot to mention for the first time uh, while mountain biking was uh, the first time I had a run-in with Jumping Choya, mm. which is uh, a cactus-like plant with large spines. Ooh. And they they call it Jumping Choya because they say it jumps. Like if you get close enough to it, it'll <laughs> like a part of it, like a, a branch basically will leap off the plant and stick into whatever came by and i was always like what no way you know and uh kind of like how a venus fly trap automatically closes their i don't know jaws i don't know what you call it a mouth i don't know but anyways when a fly touches it i think this must be something similar but um yeah i i 
was steering wide of one because I saw it and I didn't see that there was a piece of it laying on the ground and I hit it with my tire and flicked it up and it stuck me right in the inside of my leg. And it was pretty deep and Derek was a ways away from me so I was yelling at him and he thought I was just like standing there smiling but actually I was grimacing because it hurt so bad and uh, he ended up, I didn't have gloves on and he did and so um, he tried to pull it out with the gloves but couldn't because it was lodged in too much so he ended up taking two sticks like chopsticks and <laughs> like trying to yank it out like that and it, it worked but all the spine stayed in so we, we had to pull those Oof. out by hand but um so yeah i like, can confirm it jumps it wasn't yeah. like a cockle bird that like doesn't really hurt but sticks to you it was like yeah i mean it, it was, was like, like india like big old tines or like big old what do they call those things needles needles yeah it was yeah it was basically like a a chunk of cactus like the size of a avocado dang that hat was just covered in two inch long needles and then yeah i mean and they're barbed too so they really stick in there pretty good it it actually was quite painful it's fun to know in some ways um what going into different environments like what are the potential like threats out there (laughs) that that can get you like when you know we're obviously from the north we don't have that stuff uh when we were hiking around, you know, we were talking about scorpions yeah. and rattlesnakes. And, you yeah, know. it seems like everything in the desert's out to get you yeah, it's in like, some way. You know, this is, I know what to look for when I'm back home. I know what can hurt me, but I don't know, like, what the patterns are and what the things are that could get me in, in the different ecosystem. Yeah. So that's fun to have some exposure to that. We were taking photos, and my brother's like, you know, I was shining a flashlight and he's like, go stand over by that bush. I'm like, it's dark. And I'm sure the, the scorpions are in the bush. Like, <laughs> yeah. no There's way. creepy crawlies creepy in there. Creepy crawlies, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, that's fun. Well. Yeah, uh, and as far as some of the stuff, um, that's my only trip away from Minnesota. But I've found some things to do yeah, in else? Minnesota that uh, I could recommend to some people as well. Um, the first is that, uh, my dad and a friend of ours, Joe, we went to a a game farm, uh, just outside of the metro area, uh, probably within an hour of the metro and, uh, we did some pheasant hunting. And so if you're unfamiliar with how a game farm works, um, we can get into the ethics at some other point, but, uh, just to lay it out, you would... Call a game farm. Usually they're private, so you got to have like a membership or know somebody that has a membership in order to hunt there. But it's a big chunk of land. And then you call them and say, we want to put as many pheasants or chuckers or whatever the bird is out into that field. And then you go hunt them. And so it's typical for people to use those as a way to keep their dogs trained and sharp with like their skills and all that stuff and keep their shooting as hunters sharp uh, in preparation for maybe their public land hunts or maybe to just supplement like scratch that hunting itch during the off season Um, which is what we use it for mostly is to keep our skills sharp and to train the dogs and and uh, just 
shoot on the wing because we don't do yeah, that very much. So um, it does seem a little weird to like purchase pheasants and then have somebody like drive a four wheeler and then throw them into the grass and then you go an hour later and flush them out and hopefully shoot them. Yeah. So, they're, but they're but raised, not, they're raised there for that purpose, right? And they're not wild birds. That no, have been, they're not. It's and like, they also wouldn't survive. Yeah. So if you didn't shoot them, and let's say one flushes and you all miss and it keeps flying, that pheasant's not gonna survive much more than maybe through the wind. It probably won't make it through the just winter. They, they don't just have don't have the skills to yeah. to cut it out there. So. Hmm. Um, or you can just go there and scratch hunt, which we do a lot too, which means that you don't tell them to put any birds out and you hopefully just pick up all the leftovers from other groups that have been hunting there, which is fun. Um, so for a new hunter, that's a great place to teach somebody. I think that's what, yeah, I was just going to say that's that's one of the first places that I went to hunt, um, just to, it's, you can control a lot more, I think. Yeah. Like you are walking, you know, it's just like, you know, what's, you kind of know what's there in some ways, but like. Not only that, but you know, like there are certain fields and certain, it's almost like, uh, for the lack of a good analogy, it's like almost kind of like golf, right? Like you've got your section, like your holes or like your little area that you can hunt and it's controlled to that space. Um, so that's kind of nice for like, it wasn't so intimidating for me as a new hunter to, to go out there and just say, okay, like we just got to be concerned with this one little section and yeah. I didn't know there are birds out there. Um, and there's probably going to be birds. I mean, there are, but, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and then I can focus on keeping my gun safe and focus on you yeah. guys and stuff as opposed to, like, all the other variables that sometimes hunting can present. So, yeah, I I appreciated it um, when I did it. Yeah, I always enjoy it because I don't get to go hunt public land much anymore. We used to do a pheasant hunt out to South Dakota every year and – sometimes out to western or southwestern Minnesota. But it's nice to just kind of do those. It it, it mimics it well. It, it's a controlled environment, but it's, I mean, the birds flush the same. The dogs work the same. The dogs don't know the difference. Um, and the landscape is very much the same. So and they taste the same, right? Yeah, they taste the same. <laughs> yeah, because to be yeah, I just want to clarify that, like, yeah, then so then if you get a couple birds, you you take those birds like that. Yeah, you clean them and you eat them, or it's, yeah. it's treated the same way. It's not like they just get put out back or something like that. Like, right? So. Yeah, yeah. And there's nothing quite like we've talked about this before, but there's nothing quite like the 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 adrenaline rush of a flushing pheasant. And so it's nice to do that every once in a while, and it's a nice way to break up the winter because game farms are open like September through April. So okay. you can pheasant hunt now if you wanted to. You just got to go to a game farm. So hmm. and you got to have your gun safety and stuff, but yeah. you don't need a you don't need to buy a tag or anything like that. Sure. So um I would recommend that to people look into that. Um some of them are public. You just got to just Google search game farm, pheasant game farms, and there'll be a list. There's all sorts of them. Um, I know of Wings North up in Pine City. There's Wild Wings of Onika, which is kind of like in the Forest Lake, Hugo, Stillwater kind of area. There's Traxlers, which is really cool. That's in the South Metro. There's all sorts of them. So just see which one's close. Some of them are public and go out there and kind of see what it's all about. It's really fun. Cool. Yeah, I'm sure we'll... 
we'll probably get back to those at some point. There's yeah. a lot more to kind of discuss and yeah, prod around, but it's a good recommendation. Yeah. And then um, we've done a. I've only had ice fished once so far this year, which I think is one more time than I got out last year <laughs> with a new baby. But um, we did well actually. As a friend of mine. Uh, or my cousin's husband, I guess, either way. And I went out uh, crappie fishing when we took his son, Tyler, who I've posted some pictures of him on Instagram. He's my godson. I'll call him my nephew because it's easier. And then um, his sister, Paige, went. And Paige didn't last long because she wasn't really paying attention and she fell up to her knee in one of the holes that we had just <laughs> drilled. I mean, we like pulled the auger out and then she was going to scoop the ice out with the scooper and she just stepped right into it. Oh no. So, um, her evening was cut short. We drove her back to the boat launch and her mom came <laughs> mom in. Picked her up. <laughs> mom picked her up. Um, but yeah, we, uh, Tyler stayed out there with us and we, I mean, I, we caught in a couple hours, maybe 50 or 60 crappies. Seriously. So wow. it was really fun to have the, you know, you got your flasher and we can talk some other time about ice fishing, but it's just, a, it's a electronic device that marks fish with colored lights. And it, the more fish that are on there, the more colored bars that you see. And it was lit up. Wow. So we were just hammering them. And it was really, it was really fun because Ice fishing, as you know, Jake, can be really boring. Mm -hmm. And especially for somebody that's kind of half into it, maybe like a new person or a young person, you got to keep them interested somehow. So sometimes that's like playing catch mm -hmm. out on the ice or like playing cards if you're in a bigger ice house. But we didn't really have to fight that battle this time no. because Tyler had his own hole. He had a bobber and uh, was wanting to touch every fish that we catch. He's five, so he wanted to touch every fish and let it go. And he was so distracted by the fish that we were catching, he was, wasn't was watching his bobber continue, like continuously going down. Oh, that's so fun. Um, but he got his first crappie on his own. So in the past, it was always like set the hook in or like knock his rod up to set the hook for him and then let him reel it in. But he actually was – he had learned – how to set the hook himself and reel it in. So That's so fun. It was really fun. And we actually had to cut it short. We could have caught double that had we stayed out there, but it was, we were hungry. It was like 8.30. Tyler's bedtime was coming up. So yeah. while we were still marking tons of fish, we kind of packed up sadly and headed out. But it was it was a really good time. Leave them hungry for next time. Yeah, like exactly. Uh, Tyler's probably... Yeah, like if you if you leave it when you're still catching them, <laughs> yeah. he doesn't have that window where it went right. cold for a while and he got bored and leaves a sour taste in his mouth. Yeah, like and he's yeah, and he wants to go back. because yeah. of how how uh, much action there was. So yeah, that was that was really fun. Did, um, did you keep any or did you... we didn't? Uh, I kind of wish we would have, but you, there's always that game with ice fishing because there's not really catching. I mean, you can't. You know, there's no live well, I guess is an yeah. easy way to say it. Sure. You can't throw fish into a live well, keep them alive, and then be like, okay, we only caught four. That's not enough. Throw them back. Sure. So it becomes a guessing game for gotcha. what the, how the night's going to go. Because as soon as you throw them on the ice, yeah. they're going to they're gonna die. Like, yeah, you've committed. 
So um, we didn't. We could have, but sometimes it's also nice to not have to go home and clean a bunch of yeah. fish. So, um, But I wish I had them in the freezer because crappies are yeah amazing. That'll tear some winter so. blues, just a big fish fry. <laughs> yeah. Crappies. Yeah. So I'd like to do that one or two more times. The weather forecast is really warm in Minnesota, so I don't know how much longer we're going to have good ice, but... If you are interested in giving ice fishing a try, March is by far the best month of the year for panfish. So we can maybe talk about that at another time. But you can find them moving shallower because the sun is coming through this, making its way through the ice now. And that makes the weeds grow, which oxygenates the water, which brings the fish in there. So everything's starting to move shallower. Sweet. So give that a... Give that a try. If you got any questions, send a send us an email or direct message on Instagram or something. We'll I didn't think I was going to go ice up. fishing, but that you were making me want to go. Yeah, like, that sounds yeah. We're thinking about going up to the cabin for a day one of these weekends yeah. and give it a try because Travis is like the winter crappie whisperer. I don't think I've ever ice fished with him and not caught a bunch of crappies. Sweet. So he's, he's really good at that, finding on the map where to go. And the crappies that we were catching weren't big. They're, you know, maybe 10 inches at the biggest. But it would be really fun to go to a lake where they're 14 to 17 inches and catch them like that. Just be awesome. Yeah, monsters. That would be really fun. So hopefully that's uh, something that's doable in the near future before the ice is out. Yeah. Which I'm also really excited for. Yeah, I think if it keeps getting warmer, it shouldn't be. I mean, obviously we got some time, but yeah, it's gonna go quick. Yeah. Other than that, um, what else have I done? Well, I could follow up with uh, the next chapter of the piebald deer story oh, yeah, from yeah. a couple weeks ago. It's a little teaser out there. I'm curious to hear what. Yeah. What so if you haven't heard the podcast um the healing yeah two episodes ago it's called the healing power of nature i i talked about uh, an experience that alicia and i had um right after a a really hard like tragic loss that we were experiencing and so we went for a hike in fort snelling state park and we came across a piebald deer um which which means that it's got Basically, is albino, except the pigment. They don't have red eyes. They have like a blue. They have blue eyes, and their nose is pink, and they have white spots or white patches of fur on their bodies or hair. Deer hair. Deer yeah, deer fur, hair. Deer hair. Yep. Um. So, anyways, that was a really spiritual healing experience for us. And yeah, definitely go back and listen to that. Yeah, episode. go back and listen to that episode. Um. So. Last weekend, two weekends ago, was the two-year anniversary of that mm. happening. Or the day that we went to Fort Snelling State Park and saw that piebald deer. So it was the same day on the calendar. We're like, let's let's go back to Fort Snelling State Park and just spend the day there. Let's bring Gregor, our son. And it was, supposed to, it was like a beautiful day. It was like 45 degrees out. And uh, we brought... My cousin Kelly and her husband Will, and they have two little ones, so we let them run around and stuff like that. But 
Anyways, before we had left, Alicia was like, "What if we, what if we, that piebald deer comes back? Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be amazing?" I was like, "I yeah, I mean two, two years of the day. Um, I'm not sure what that would mean for us, but that would be really cool to have that happen." And uh, we had walked around for a long time. Gregor, who is 14 months old, has been walking for probably four months. He did not want to be picked up. So he was he probably put on a mile and a half. <laughs> Just himself. Those little tiny legs in his snow pants. It was amazing. And uh, we did come across one deer, which I don't know if I... I'll make sure that I post a picture of this if I haven't already. But um, as I mentioned before, Gregor is obsessed with deer and he spotted it. So he like pointed and he like has this little like squealy, like look kind of sound like. "Ah." And um, so we got close, probably within 15 yards of it. Hmm. This is just a doe kind of milling around. And we watched it for a while and. He thought that was the coolest thing. He just sat there like giggling and smiling and pointing at it. And that was the only deer that we had seen. We got back to the truck, loaded up, loaded him up. Uh, Kelly and Will, they left. And we we were driving out of the park. And uh, there was a few cars parked on the road out. And like, what is everybody waiting for? What's going on? And as we were kind of coming up to the cars, we could see in the woods, there's like four deer over to the left and five over to the right. There's deer everywhere. Like, oh my gosh, what the heck? And there had there was a guy with a camera with a really long lens and he was out. Like, what are they taking a picture picture of? And lo and behold, out steps that piebald deer of like 15 feet out in front of the, my truck. Cool. Stepped out onto the street, and I was like, oh, my gosh, Alicia, there it is. And she like immediately started to cry. <laughs> and the deer looked over at us. It was a, um, a big deer, so two years later. So I, at the time, that deer was a yearling. It was pretty small, little stubby nose. Now it was a big deer. Nice. And uh, it was a buck. Huh. It's a buck. They've dropped their antlers, but you could see the nubs. On the top of its head. So that'd be really cool to see that deer in the fall. Yeah. What that looks like. Wow. So he's probably going on three now. Pretty cool. mature buck. So yeah, it was it was really cool to have a, an interaction with that deer two years in a you know two years removed from the original time. So That's so cool. Um it was exactly what Alicia was hoping to have happen. Like, what if, what if we see it? It's like, I don't think so. Cause I've never seen that deer since. And what are the odds? There's probably 5,000 deer in that park. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's so many deer and yeah, he stepped out cool. right into the street and, and, uh, I got goosebumps, a hair in the back of my neck stood That's up awesome. and Alicia cried and, and Gregor saw it too, which was yeah. cool. He was in his car seat, so I drove up kind of slowly. And he can—he's big enough now that he can see out the window, and you could see that you could hear him react with his little squeals of excitement. Oh, so, that's awesome! Yeah, it was really fun. So, kind of came full circle. What a cool, what a cool story. Yeah. So, actually, if you if you're interested in seeing that deer, I I looked looked it up because I was like, well, there's a photographer out there. I wonder yeah. if there's any other people that have taken pictures of this deer. 
So I Googled Fort Snelling State Park Piebald Deer, P-I-E-B-A-L-D, and there it is. There's all sorts of pictures of cool. it. Cool. So it, it is a super majestic looking deer. Man, like yeah. Steel blue eyes, pink nose. It's got big, like half of its face is white. It kind of has like the Phantom of the Opera kind of look <laughs> to it. You know, it was really cool. Really cool deer. So, yeah. Um, once again, I kind of answered those desires that Alicia had in that in that space and at that time and in that location. So it's amazing how that stuff can happen like that. That's super cool. So next time I go out there, I'm going to bring my camera because it would be really nice to have a picture of it blown up on a canvas or something like that just because it means so much to us as a symbol of healing and growth. And Be ready for it, man. Yeah, it sounds like you have a good chance of seeing it maybe. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, that's sweet. Yeah, so if you're in Fort Snelling State Park, keep your eye out for it. For it, and if you see it, take a picture and send it to us. I'd love to have it. I'd love to have a picture of that deer. So, cool. Um, yeah, those are kind of all the things that I've done this winter. Did go on a snowmobiling trip in the early. Well, right. Actually, it was a. Valentine's Day weekend, <laughs> um, which was fun. It was all my my dad's side, all the guys on my dad's side, cousins and uncles and stuff, and we put 300 miles on in three days riding snowmobiles. And uh, I had said before in that podcast with Grant, riding snowmobiles isn't a great way to see wildlife. We slowed down this year a little bit, and we saw a lot. Really? And there's so much snow that the deer were congregating on the trails, and so whoever was leading which was my cousin joe most of the time was nearly hitting deer quite often hmm. so we had we were forced to slow down there was a lot of deer cool. was, which was really cool so we rented snowmobiles and borrowed snowmobiles and it was a good way to spend a weekend outside and actually was kind of the last cold enough weekend to snowmobile because it's been so warm lately yeah but, snow gets wet so that was I guess that's kind of the run through of all the things that I've done in the winter to keep myself engaged with outdoor activities and to save my sanity a little bit because it can be really easy to, to have that, what is it called? Seasonal depression disorder. Seasonal affective. No. I don't know. The sad. (laughs) Yeah. To get sad. (laughs) Yeah. You get the blues, the winter blues. It's, yeah, it's really easy to have that happen and, and uh, finding those little ways to either get out of town for cheap yep, and to f- experience a little bit of what uh, the outdoors has to offer in those places you're visiting or finding things to do in your neighborhood yeah, like Fort Snelling State Park or going sledding to Gregor sledding a bunch, which he loves, or... Taking a couple hour drive, just getting out, get out on the lake or find a game farm or go mountain biking in Minnesota. You can do that in the winter or get a fat tire bike and go rent, borrow, whatever you got to do. Snowshoe, which I'm going to do this weekend, which I'm really looking forward to. So, yep. Just takes, you know, as little as a couple hours to go out and reset things and 
you know, if you're lucky enough to find, like you said, a cheap flight to get out and get a little bit of a tan, that's that does wonders too. Yeah. Now we're kind of in that weird transitional period mm-hmm. where the snow is starting to melt, and so you've lost your ability to cross country ski, snowshoe, yep. snowmobile. The lakes are thinning, getting dangerous. Yeah. And... So you you maybe have three weeks left of that. The streams are getting really muddy because yeah. of all those runoff. All the, runoff. The, the trout fishing isn't very good. So um, there's a for sure it's kind of a spring even though like the weather's warm and the trees might be budding and the birds have returned yeah it's kind of that's that's the time where i'm like okay let's go let's get to april because i need open water it's a good time to uh to take inventory of your things and um clean out your your bags and your your gear and throw away your old fishing line and get you know restock the <laughs> yeah. shelves a little bit to yeah. gear up for the the spring and summer um which i think we should talk about soon to kind of what we do to prepare for a season of um time in the outdoors kinda yeah like what yeah what do you do for from a gear perspective to kind of get ready for things yeah put putting away your winter stuff and yep getting out the summer stuff yep looking it's fun it feels like it's like uh if this if the seasons were a week i feel like you know march is like a thursday it's like we're getting close to and summer's the weekend yeah yeah Yeah. exactly like we're getting close kind of made it through the hard once we're through february it's uh that feels like we're through the the worst of it and march is always snowy i'm sure we'll get more snow but Mm -hmm. um it's okay it's not bitter cold so yeah and i Personally, I'm always looking for new ways to enjoy the winter. So if you're listening and there's things that you like to do, post it on Instagram and share it on our page and tag us at First Time Outdoors. Mm-hmm. We'd like to share that with our our audience as well because there's a lot of stuff out there in the outdoors for people to do and that they enjoy that I've never tried or would like to. Yep. And I have no experience with. I'm looking for mentors too. So tag us, share stuff with us, let us know what you're up to, and then uh, maybe what you're most looking forward to this spring. Number one on my list is turkeys. Mm, gobble, gobble. <laughs> I can't wait. So cool. Yeah. Jake, do you have anything else that. Uh, no, I think that'll do it. Um, we'll be in touch with you know some other fun content we got some good guests lined up for the next couple weeks um so yeah that's all i got yeah thanks for listening if you like what you're listening to let us know rate us give us a five-star rating on on uh spotify or on apple podcast give us a let us uh know how you like it yeah or any feedback that you have um we'd appreciate it take care